welcome back to Booze Nation, the podcast. Things are weird and scary out there again, guys. Uh, The Delta variant is spiking. It's all over the place. Please get vaxxed. Please wear your mask. Please do your part. Thank you. And today my guest is Chef and a chef owner in San Francisco, Trish Tracy of Marriott Restaurant. And this episode is part one of a two-part interview. And I met Trish in 2015. She had just opened her restaurant, Myriad, which is in the Mission. And I would go in about once a week. And my order was always the same. It was chicken sammies, which are kind of like chicken sliders, and a wedge salad with extra house-made and Thousand Island dressing. It was so good. And it was kind of like my weekly gig to go in and say hello to Stephen and Paige, the bartenders, give a wave to everyone in the back of the house, and then watch Trish as she ran around um, checking on customers, checking on her chefs, checking on the bartenders, checking on the bar. It was just such a really lovely evening. And again, we just jump right into this interview. Yeah, I felt, you know, uh, better being outside at first. I, you know, I, like everybody else, you know, gained the COVID-19 pounds or whatever, about 15 and kept thinking, you know, especially during COVID, we were taking walks, but, you know, I wasn't working 12 hours a day and just comfort eating and drinking tequila and whatever else. And so I ordered a trainer and put my bike on a trainer. I was like, I got to take care of myself and try to do something for these knees. And I just wasn't doing it. I just don't really like to work at home, out at home. I never have. It's, I'm just not very good at the discipline of working out in my living room, you know? In the beginning of COVID, I did a, a lot of yoga when I, you know, when, uh, when the restaurant was closed. Um, even though I was working on a lot of things, I had a lot of flexibility. And, and then when, once the restaurant opened again, that went out the window. And then when I realized that my bike on a trainer was just a place to throw my jacket, <laughs> I finally was like, okay, I keep driving. I kept driving past that place. And I was like, all right, I should go. You know, I didn't, you know, I don't have a job. I didn't have money. I knew it would be expensive, but I went in there one day, probably maybe, I don't know, in April. And they're like, can we help you? And I was like, I hope so. I'm like, you know, fat, depressed, out of shape broken, don't have a job and don't have any money. And they were like, oh, okay. And they were like, so kind to me. And they were so funny. They were like, I was like, you guys are like the restaurant, the restaurant people of the gym. Like you're so fun. And then um, they gave me a deal on a membership and they just did like a three month membership and gave me like $30 off the monthly price. And then they were like, you know, it sounds like with everything going on with your knees, like you could really benefit from some personal training. Like, have you ever done that? And I was like, yeah, but I don't have the money for that. Like, I don't even have the money. I just gave you to, you know, join a gym, but I also (laughs) know I need to like figure this out and start taking care of myself. So like, that's what the credit card is for. And um, they were like, well, just come tomorrow and meet with our personal training manager. She might be able to help you out met with her, gave her all my, you know, problems. And she was like, geez, girl, you need some help. And I was like, I know, because it was also like, I literally didn't know how to work out with the pain that I was having. You know, I was like, I can't do all the things that I normally do. And so she was like, you know, we have some members that have like moved away or they're like back East for now, or they're up in Tahoe and they've donated back their sessions. Oh, that's a sweet thing. That's sweet. Right. 
also then she was like doing all this math and I was like, what's going on over there? You know, what's happening? She was like, well, I was just trying to see how many sessions I have. I was planning to sort of like, you know, I already knew that I wanted to help out like somebody that was in the, the theater or a restaurant person or bartender. Like, you know, we knew that we wanted to use these, these sessions to help people like you out. And she's like, you know, I thought I'd give some to, you know, a few different people, but she's like, you know, you got all these knee problems and you were spent all this time helping other people. She's like, I'm just, I want to give them all to you. Oh, so you were like, like her special charity case. I mean, Siri, it was really nice. It was so sweet. And they, she said, they're usually $105 a session. Do you think you could pay $20 a session for them? And I was like, you know, how can I not? Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, good story. They were just very, very kind to me. And the trainer that I have is amazing and like has injuries himself and has worked with other people with knee issues and people who've had to have the same kind of surgery that I'm going to have to have. And he's just, he's great. So, oh, that's, good. that's a good story. I like that. When we first shut down, you know, when the, when we first, the very first, you know, in March, when we shut down, Obviously, I wasn't cooking at the restaurant, but I was cooking for my staff once a week and making food, you know, pulling things from the freezer that we had frozen and making, you know, big containers of stuff and having people pick up, you know, and then but wasn't really doing any good cooking for myself. It was really just like, you know, COVID, COVID mentality, um, you know, just trying to feed myself and stay you know stay healthy and not get sick and stuff like that and then you know when we opened up the restaurant again in June I got to kind of get back into being a little bit creative but quite honestly the past year has kind of uh put a big uh squelch on my creative juices which um I'm not worried about it like they're in there I've done a little bit of cooking there's been some times where you know there was uh events and stuff that, you know, once, once things loosened up a little bit where I was, you know, I went to a party and I helped, you know, just brought some stuff, and, but I haven't been doing a, a ton of cooking a little bit here and there yeah. from me and Danny and nothing crazy. That's, that's, you know, it's exactly what you said. It's, it's COVID and we are just lucky to come out on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, some people, I think some people got it, you know, obviously we saw everybody on the internet baking bread <laughs> and, uh, you know, learning how to, learning how to, you know, I'm, I've made my own kombucha, you know, but those were people that, you know, still had their job and still had money and was, you know, we're trying to fill in the boredom for me, precisely, was, yes. which is great. Like I get it. I, I'm, you know, people were doing, I did one puzzle. People were doing puzzles <laughs> for me. I, you know, I had, you know, at that point I was down to about 20 employees and I just felt, you know, it was just stressful from beginning to end. I felt like I had people counting on me. I, you know, really felt for all of the people, you know, that just didn't have food, not just my employees, but the people in my city and the people in this country. And, you know, um, just, you know, my own, my brother, who's my roommate and my own, my friends and my family. And like, I just, not to mention, I, you know, spent all my time, you know, working on loans and grants and how was I going to pay the bills and where are we going to survive? And is everybody safe and keeping, you know, thinking about how to reopen. So I just didn't, you know, I didn't have the time. And yeah, even when I had a little bit of free time on my hands, I didn't have the, the, you know, energy or the thought process. It just wasn't, it wasn't the soothing 
fun thing that it usually is for me. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't delve deep into new cuisines during COVID. It didn't happen. Yes. Your fusion Moroccan Japanese will have to wait. Yeah, that's right. I'm not worried about it. I mean, I just, you know, I'm still not, you know, kind of back on that track, but I'm still working on a lot of things. So, um, that's okay. I'm not, I'm not afraid. Yeah, I'm not afraid that it's dead. It's just taking a little nap right now. Right. That's all. That's good. What puzzle did you do? I'm intrigued. Oh, God, I have no idea. All I know is that I was like, wow, I haven't done a puzzle in a hundred years. Um, Danny got it. It was it was like an outdoor scene of, a, of like families and kids and lots of little people like at a, an outdoor, like a carnival kind of thing. And so there was just tons of the same color everywhere. And, um, you know, Danny was working on it and I thought, Oh God, puzzles, who cares? And then I started doing it one night at like nine o'clock and at three in the morning, I was like still sitting over there. I was like, Oh, this is what's happening to everybody. I was totally obsessed. And I got all the way to the end and there was two pieces missing. And Danny's like, no, there's not two pieces missing. It's brand and new we just got it and then I, I just finally I gave up I was like there's two pieces that aren't there and in the morning I found them the cats had taken them <gasps> and like chewed on them and they and they brought them back out from wherever they had them hidden and, and I put them in little buggers <laughs> yeah I think they must have gone up on the table and and taken them. <sighs> those rascals and so tell me what was San Francisco like when you started as a chef. Oh my God. It was amazing. It was so fun. <sighs> I say it all the time now to people, especially people like around my same age and people that I've known in San Francisco for close to 30 years. Um, I always say, I miss the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> I miss the nineties so badly. Um, it was just great. You know, I came out here as a 27 year old, like, you know, fresh from the East coast, ready to come to San Francisco and like advance my career and learn and just, you know, develop my, my own style and, you know, just, you know, being a really great food city. And it was everything that I imagined it would be. I got a job with the real restaurant group was the first place I landed at a place called uh, Bistro Roti, which no longer exists. But, you know, the first time I ever came to San Francisco, I had read about Cindy Paulson and I was like, I want to go to one of her restaurants. And we went to Fog City Diner. So to find myself landing here and working, you know, with the real restaurant group and, you know, getting to meet and work under Cindy Paulson was, you know, pretty, pretty fabulous. We didn't work together all that much. You know, she was overseeing like, you know, probably 10 or 11 restaurants at that point in time. But, you know, she interviewed me. I got the job. I was pretty excited. Um, I started there as as a sous chef. And, um, pretty quickly, I think, I think, um, the chef left, like it was less than a year later and they promoted me and I was like, are you sure? (laughs) You know, like I really didn't think I would be, you know, the chef of a a San Francisco based restaurant under Cindy Paulson, you know, with the real restaurant group just a year later. Um, but they were like, yeah, no, you're good. You're ready. And I was with them for Yeah, it was totally sweet. And it was just it was just the best time. You know, it was just an exciting I mean, I'm sure it was exciting for me because I was, you know, at that age. And that's what I was, you know, I was just, you know, full of piss and vinegar and just wanting to learn everything and just had endless energy and 
Um, but it was also just, I don't know, it was just a really golden age in San Francisco. Everybody, you know, worked hard and had fun and, um, you know, working in a restaurant always has its stresses for sure. You know, things like things breaking down and people calling in sick and, you know, not being able to maybe find staff sometimes when you need it, but it just was like before a lot of the technology that exists now that, you know, I don't know. I think it's mostly a hindrance. I know it helps as well, but it was just before all that. So it was just, I don't know. It was just a different time. It makes me sound like an old, old lady, but um, I miss the days of having a reservation book and a black warrior pencil and you write the reservation down, you know, um, and, and people don't, cancel it you know a minute later or or 10 minutes before they're supposed to be there you know it's just it was just a very different time there was different etiquette about going out to eat and um and it was also just just fun and everyone in all the restaurants like knew each other we all took really good care of each other and a lot of that still happens but um some of the technology that really, really helps us as restaurateurs and small business owners and, you know, for all kinds of businesses also brings with it a lot of challenges. <laughs> and so, you know, it's just a different time now, but I would say, you know, when I first got here, the nineties were just, they were just amazing. They were it was some of the best times I've ever had. Yes. What, um, how many women were in the kitchen with you during the nineties? Would you say? Um, you know, more than you would think. I don't know. I mean, I was, I was, um, sorry, I'm going to take you for a little walk here. I need to get some water. I was, as I said, working in a restaurant group that the corporate executive chef was a woman. So that was probably helpful. Um, but, you know, sometimes there just wasn't as many women applying. I had several in the kitchen that I was in, but you would, you would generally see like, all the, you know, back then, most the pastry chefs were women, you know, um, I definitely tried to hire women Any any female resume that came across my desk. I, you know, I brought them in, see if they were qualified. And I had several in my kitchen, but it still was probably, you know, maybe 10% of staff, <laughs> which is pretty low. Right. Back of the house or the whole restaurant? Oh. No, back of the house. There would be usually more in the front, yeah. you know, servers tend to be more, you know, uh, a little more equitable on the split there, but I can remember quite a few that were in my kitchen, you know, my paste, all the pastry chefs that came through the corporate pastry chef was a woman. I had this great young girl, Anne, who I still remember to this day, just, you know, worked shoulder to shoulder as hard as anybody else. Um, and a couple other, a couple others that I don't really remember their names, but, um, had some good people in there. Oh, that's awesome. That is great. And how many restaurants do you think you've worked at in San Francisco? Oh, in San Francisco? Um, let's probably, well, there was one that wasn't in San Francisco. It was Bay Area down in Cupertino. It was a hotel. I worked at the Kimpton Group for a little bit. But in San Francisco, not that many. I've, I've sort of been fairly long term at most places. I was five years at... Um, five years at Roti and then three years at Momo's and then um, a couple of years down at the one in Cupertino and then another three years with uh, Rombles and Thirsty Bear. So, and then I opened, and then just a, just a hot minute at um, home restaurant before they kind of went out of business. So maybe five, five or six. 
I remember home, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then came Myriad, including Myriad, I, would, I think about six. Um, let's talk about Myriad, because you opened, what, 2015? Yeah. And how, how did you get investors? How did you go about that? Like, talk a little bit about that process, because that seems really daunting. And I don't know if that is how it is in every big city that you have to get like 8,000 investors because it's so expensive and, you know, to do yeah. anything. Yeah, it is. And San Francisco is certainly, you know, at the top of that list. So I, you know, my very first day of culinary school, I decided I wanted to open a restaurant, you know, when I was 18 years old, you know, they're giving you an orientation and they're talking about um, all the different things that you can do. You know, they're like, you know, you're going to culinary school and this is just going to be the base of your knowledge. This is, you know, just, just the beginning. It's not, you're not going to walk out of here and be, you know, running the show places, but there's so many different opportunities that you can, um, look into and you know there's a lot of different paths you can take so they talked about working in restaurants working in hotels working on a cruise ship working on a sailboat working in nonprofit you know working in food you know food banks and food kitchens and in a more charity minded setting um and I just I don't know I just knew right then on day one that I, I wanted to own a restaurant my mom had started uh, her own business when I was uh, in grammar school. She put herself through college while raising six kids on oh, her own. Boy, and then wow. you know, somewhere when I was in middle school, started her own business and told me she was going to be an entrepreneur. And I was like, "Well, I'm going to be an entrepreneur." I didn't know what that meant at the time, <laughs> but it, it sounded uh, good once I understood. Yeah, once I understood it, you know, and I, of course I looked up to her and I was like, oh, "I can do that." And uh, then once I realized what it was, I actually wanted to do. So that stuck with me for a long time, though. Obviously, you know, I came out here at 27 and knew that I, you know, I just needed to learn and work my way around in some different kitchens and work with different chefs and um, work with all the different amazing product that was out here. Um, At some point, I realized, I think while I was at Thirsty Bear, um, and I was running Thirsty Bear as well as their sister restaurant, Rombles. And those were Spanish restaurants. I had never done Spanish cuisine before. So I just sort of immersed myself. I got to go to Spain a couple of times and, times and <clears throat> you know, immersed myself in the culture and the food there. Did a lot of research, did a lot of cooking. And I think at that point was when I knew that I really wanted to open a globally inspired restaurant because I had sort of started my career with classical French training and New Jersey had a lot of sort of um, upscale French Italian blend kind of restaurants. And I worked in a few of those Um, in culinary school. We, you know, got to learn all the different types of cuisine. I love doing Spanish cuisine. I I like to eat, you know, pretty much everything. So I did a lot of, um, at at one point um, we did sort of a, a reconcept at Roti and it was, it had been a, a French bistro, and then we made it more of um, a broad sort of American bistro. So I, I was able to kind of push the boundaries and do more kinds of cuisine. So I could, you know, throw in some Asian and do something Moroccan. And I really, really enjoyed that. So I knew that whenever I finally got to my own um, my own spot, it would be something that encompassed a lot of different types of cuisine, but that sort of all blended together. You know, that wasn't... Um, wasn't a big mesh mess of 
different fusion cuisine, but you know, if, if a dish was going to be Thai, it was going to be Thai. And if it was Moroccan, it was Moroccan, but all sort of in a hearty, rustic, stuff it in your face, deliciousness kind of way. Um, I really like big, bold flavors. I like things to, you know, really hit you when you, when you put them in your face. Um, you know, sometimes there's things that are more subtle, but, um, so doing sort of those different kind of ethnic things lends itself to that. So then when I finally, you know, I had taken a little breather, I went home to New Jersey, my family needed me. So I went back and was with my mom for a few years and then, you know, came back and took some time to get my feet back on the ground living in San Francisco. And that's when I worked at home for a little bit. But um, at that point, I was in my my mid 40s. And I was like, okay, like, you know, I'm as ready as I'm going to get. It's kind of like when you're waiting to figure out when you're going to have a baby and you're like, are we ready? Are we prepared? Do we have the money? Are we mature enough? Are we living in the right house? You know, and then at a certain point, you're like, all right, it's just time to do it. Um, so I, I felt like I had enough of the background. Um, certainly, I had never opened my own restaurant before. I had open, I had done openings for other people. So I knew what it was like to open a kitchen in somebody else's restaurant. But being the owner and the chef um, is a whole, whole different ball of wax. <laughs> um, and so I just I decided I was ready. It was it was like. Um, when was it? It was late in 2013 and just had a friend of mine who's super organized come over and we've got a giant, uh, a giant piece of poster board and a whole bunch of post-it notes and a whole bunch of colored markers. And we backed ourselves into what the plan looked like. She was like, what do you need to do? You know, what comes first? What comes after that? What comes after that? You know, down to opening day, and we and we laid it all out, and it was great. It was it hung on that on the wall, and I just took the post-it notes notes off as we got things accomplished until the doors were open. And I just I just knew I just knew I was ready at that point. I was like, I'm not going to stop, no matter what anybody says to me, no matter what roadblocks I hit. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to make it happen. And there was definitely lots of roadblocks. You know, I was working on one space that I really liked that I was, you know, really committed to. And the landlords were super weird. They put me through a lot of, you know, sort of interviews with them. They had me do a, a menu tasting for them, which is never just like unheard of. And I was like, fine, I'll cook you some food. And then that all fell through. I probably worked on that for like six months. So that was definitely a roadblock. What space? I, what space was it? You can say. Oh, it was uh, in the Mint Plaza, which is across from the Cavalier. It's on like Fifth and Fifth and mm -hmm. Mission. Um, and there's a few restaurant spaces, and they've like come and go, come and gone. There's just been I don't know I don't know if it's the landlords or if it's actually the location, and I, maybe I wouldn't have made it there. Um, it's funky, but it's not that far from the. Um, it's right across from the from the Westfield yeah. Mall on a, on the on the side street, and it's not that far from the um, Moscone Center. So, at the time, my my goal with wanting to be down there was a I knew the marketplace because I had been the chef at Thirsty Bear for three years, and B I really wanted a lunch business because if you have a good lunch business, that can like pay your bills, you know. And um, anyway, I had a couple of drinks. I went to Mexico for the weekend, and I came back and recruited. <laughs> And I, you know, I wound up how I wound up raising all the money was 
sort of doing everything. I did a Kickstarter and, um, you know, a lot of people think, oh my God, she did a Kickstarter and opened her restaurant. That was a very small amount. It was like 10, not even 10% of, of the amount of money that I raised, but it, you know, just raised awareness. It gets you out there. People know who you are. You, you can share it. It can, you know, uh, launch into your other social media. For me, it really was the Kickstarter. Like a lot of people who try to do a brick and mortar, they'll use Kickstarter and they usually use it more towards the end when they're getting closer to opening and they're just raising a little bit more money and using it for the marketing um, benefits of it and kind of launching yourself. I actually raised that money and that money was used for finishing, putting together the business plan and the prospectus and legal fees. And, you know, I, it kickstarted <laughs> my fundraising efforts with, with the initial investment. So, and then I, um, I didn't have, what did you say? 800 investors, 8,000 investors. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I didn't have that many, but it, that was difficult getting investors. Um, I just, you know, I didn't have any kind of deep, pocket of you know people that had said to me over the years whenever you're ready to open a restaurant let me know i've got all this money for you that just didn't happen i had to really work hard for it um and i could tell at some point that i you know i was exhausting my resources friends family friends of friends friends of family you know there's only so many people that you know and um raising money for an investment like that you can't just you can't advertise for it it's not something that you could just you know put out there that's just doesn't um it's not legal under sec regulation so you know you're going to exhaust your resources at some point so i decided to also apply for an sba loan and that was like having a full-time job that was just the 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 amount of paperwork and different people i dealt with and um I mean, it must have taken three or four months to get that. And that was with having, like, I had an expediter. This woman, wow. that's what she does. Yeah, it was, it was bonkers. And then it was, it was like, it was as difficult spending the money as it was to get the money from them. The like spending of the money was, you know, just a, an immense amount of paperwork. But anyway, you know, I did all those things and raised all the money that I needed. And um, at some point I still didn't have all the money together, but I, I, you know, have been looking at some other spaces and another one fell through and finally got the space that became myriad and, you know, didn't quite have everything that I wanted, you know, all the money together. I needed like two or three more investors, but I just signed the lease anyway. I took a giant leap of faith and was like, here I go. <laughs> Hopefully I'll come up with the rest, which I yeah, did. You did. And then just yeah. talk about what is the, what is one day in the life of a chef slash owner? That must be crazy. Super crazy. Um, every day is different. There's not one day that can line up with the next, but, um, you know, just wearing a lot of hats. I didn't actually have a business partner. So it was just me. I had, I had investors, but they're all, you know, silent investors. And then I had a, a general manager, you know, that helped me run the restaurant, but I didn't have somebody who was my business partner. So, um, I did a lot of, you know, administrative, um, duties a lot more than I ever would have liked to, honestly. Um, so, you know, you're trying to split your time between the administration of running a restaurant, um, doing that in San Francisco, just as on just, uh, you know, bigger piles of stuff to do. There's just a lot, 
seems to me there's just a lot of rules and regulations here that are less than some other cities. Um, and then trying to balance that with um, nurturing my staff and training my staff and teaching my staff, teaching the kitchen staff, being in the kitchen, cooking food, developing recipes, taking a minute to unclog the, the drain, figure out why the dish machine's not working. Don't forget to do the schedule, check in the orders, you know, talk to customers, you know, make them feel special. Enjoy that. That's like, that was one of my, you know, favorite parts of my job. You know, um, the two favorite parts of my job are working with my kitchen staff and, you know, developing food and, and teaching them and, and nurturing them and talking to customers and making sure they're having a good time and just, you know, just enjoying a conversation with new people, whether they're my regulars or new people that have just come in, you know, I'm a, I'm a social butterfly. That was, you know, part of the reason I wanted to open a restaurant. I certainly was never going to be somebody who's just a chef and stays in the back and <laughs> just do your work and don't be seen. That's just not me. <laughs> um, so, you know, any given day, you're going to, you're doing all that stuff. And then on top of that, you know, I just did everything else in house. I did everything except for the, my, my accounting. So I took care of all the human resources and, um, San Francisco has its own um, healthcare security ordinance, which requires, a, you know, quite a bit of record keeping and um, just all the things, all the insurances, workers' comp, liability insurance, all the boring stuff. I mean, that stuff is not fun. Um, I'm pretty uh, organized and want to, you know, keep on good, uh, keep on top of all that kind of stuff. And then you're like, but wait it's springtime. I need my spring menu or it's Friday and I need a special or it's Christmas and we need to do, I did some really um, fun, but a little bit crazy things with the food in the beginning. Um, we did something called the 12 days of Christmas. I remember that. And because, <laughs> because we were a globally inspired restaurant, I did a different dish, a different holiday um, Christmas dish from a different country for 12 days. <laughs> Um, so that was pretty nutty. You know, you had to sort of backtrack. You're like, well, day five is, you know, German and I'm going to, you know, do something that has to be marinated for a day before that it has to be brined for two days. So I have to buy that meat six days out, to, you know, it was bonkers, but it was really fun and people really liked it. Like it was super bonkers, but I also had a good time with it. I think I had a better time planning it than actually <laughs> executing it because I wanted to like rip my hair out, but then every night when you got the food on the plate and, um, you know, the next year we did it for three years. And then finally the fourth year, I just, I didn't have a sous chef. I didn't have uh, enough support in the kitchen to, to do that. But, um, yeah, you know, those are, there's the fun things and then they're all mushed and mixed in there with all the other things. Oh my God. I do. I every, do remember that. Every, every day is different. Every day is different. Every day is a challenge. And um, a lot of them are super rewarding and you get to, you know, meet great customers that are either tourists or they're your, your regulars and, you know, they want to talk to you about the food. They just want to chit chat with you. It's, you know, there's not a lot of businesses where um, you get immediate gratification, you know, I mean, you could work somewhere and, you know, never get somebody to tell you how much they like what you're doing because it's behind the scenes. You're sewing dresses or you're, you know, producing stuff that then gets shipped away somewhere. So it's really nice that you, you know, people are like, Hey, tell the chef to come out. We want to, you know, tell them how, tell them, you know, express our gratitude. 
you know, and then we get to, we go back to the kitchen and we tell the guys and they feel proud. And at the same time, if somebody's not happy, hopefully they tell you right away. And you also get the chance to talk to them about it and, you know, express your concern that you're sorry that you let them down and, and hopefully correct whatever the issue is. And at the very least, you know, let them know that you genuinely care and, and turn turn the situation around, which also doesn't happen in a lot of businesses. What you kind of hit on this earlier about um, technology and what about the apps, like the caviar and the DoorDash? Ooh. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> you can say whatever, whatever you want. I think they are terrible. Yeah. I think they are a terrible business plan. And, you know, uh, you know, um, is it true that they surged during the pandemic? Surged, you mean they surged the prices? Price. The, per- the percentages. Can you talk about the percentage? They tried to, but the city didn't let them. And the city actually made them drop and put a cap on it. So, yes, they tried to do that in the beginning. And um, Mayor Breed was, you know, given word of it probably from the Golden Gate Restaurant Association, which is our, you know, our watchdog that helps us with everything. And um, yeah, she was like, oh no, hell no, that's not happening. So uh, pre-pandemic, the um, uh, percentage that they would take from the order was anywhere between 18 and 30%, depending on the app, depending on your, when you signed up with them, depending on if you had, high volume. If you were somebody that had, you know, multiple restaurants, you could negotiate probably as low as 18 is as, as low, the lowest I'd ever seen and as high as 30. Like there were some that I never used because they wanted 30. And I was like, I, I don't, that's, that's not even within anybody's profit margin. Most restaurants profit margin is about 10% if you're lucky. So why am I going to like have food go out the door where you're taking 30%? So yeah, not fun. <laughs> I don't, you know, there's probably some, there are, I'm sure there are some restaurants that it's good for like a certain, certain business models, it helps. And they have, you know, their business model really isn't about the experience inside the restaurant as it is that, you know, maybe they have some seats or whatever, but that's just not really their focus. And so for some, some of them, they have like every single app that you could have, you walk in there and you just see, you know, eight iPads behind the bar. Um, or behind their counter or whatever there are. And now there are also like apps that you can, so now you have to pay another app. There are companies where you can get an app that like wrangles all those apps into one. So now you have one iPad and they all come through one iPad and that's just yet another fee to pay. Um, and it's not only about the, like, so for me, I don't like, I rarely ever, ever use them at home. Maybe like once or twice a year where I'm just like either, sick or just too lazy to cook for myself or, you know, just can't do it. And I'm always disappointed. I've had, I had one time where my, I threw my back out and I ordered it and the food never showed up. And the, they, the driver had literally picked up the food from the restaurant and like taken off of it. I mean, that's a, you know, that's not something that happens all the time, but I was like, Oh my God, I'm laying over here with a bad back. I want my big, I ordered a big bowl of for my favorite noodle place never no, those things happen all then, the you know, time sometimes. all the time where the food just never shows 
I have actually heard a bunch of stories like that. Oh no, these yeah. apps are terrible. Sorry, and then yeah, they take too much money. You know, it's just not worth it. Your food is all traveling in a box, and you have no idea what it looks like when it gets there. Like you do your best to buy the the best things that are economically, you know, you know. I don't like to I don't like to use plastic, which it travels better in and stays warmer. But I won't use it. So. Um, and then you just, there's no experience. <laughs> there's, you're not talking to these customers. You're not, you don't get to take care of them. And there's a middleman. So like they'll call and complain that everything was a mess and it was all sideways or, you know, there was something missing and you realize that the guy didn't pick up the second bag. You were like, I put it right here. It just so many, so many problems. I mean, there was one day where I just jumped in uh, my car and drove the food. It was like, you know, eight blocks away. And there was one day where I walked it myself to someone's house. And, you know, so I don't like them. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say about that. I don't like them. No, that's a t- it's <laughs> terrible. They're not, they're not good for us. No, not at all. Not at all. I had no idea that it was 18 to 30%. I had no idea. Yeah. That is robbery. Yeah. And there you have it. Thank you to Trish Tracy for taking the time to talk to me. And in two weeks, we'll have the rest of the interview to see what Trish is doing and to see how Marriott is doing. I know I said it in the beginning, but I'm going to say it again. Please get vaxxed. Please wear a mask. Texas, Florida, all of the South, I'm talking to you. Here in San Francisco, you have to have proof that you have been vaccinated to enter restaurants and bars. Please do your part. Please don't be an asshole and yell at the person at the door or the bartender or the server or the host checking vaccination cards. Please don't do that. That is beyond rude and bad manners. Everyone is just trying to be safe and healthy. And again, thank you for listening. You can find Booze Nation, the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Stay safe, stay healthy, and remember, please tip your bartenders. Thank you.